The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele, and today we're joined by John Schuler. John is an engineer uh, with over 30 years of experience, and he's a signatory to AE 9-11 Truth's petition, of course, calling for a new investigation into the destruction of the three towers that fell in New York on September 11th. Now he's heading up Project Due Diligence's outreach team. So we're going to be learning more about him. It's actually his first time here on the show so i am very excited i've been working with him a little bit behind the scenes and it's it's great to bring him out before the free fall audience uh, here for the first time so let's put him out in the stream john welcome yeah, to free fall well thank you good to be here thank you so uh it's your initiation here uh first tell our audience more about yourself and your career well, sure, sure. Um, like you said, I have over 30 years since I got my undergrad, an undergraduate degree. I went to Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, got a BS in civil engineering, um, in, uh, emphasized environmental work back then, even though it's mostly a known to be a structural school uh, for, for civil engineering. But uh, went to work in environmental consulting, uh, eventually found my way up to a job in, in Alaska with the Army Corps of Engineers doing environmental work up there. And I left that job to go to graduate school full-time at University of Alaska Fairbanks, which of course did our report on, on World Trade Center 7 and where Dr. Leroy Holsey um, was a professor. So, um, and after that, I came back to the East Coast, worked in consulting engineering and then state government. And I'm still working for state government uh, now in Virginia. And um, so, um, so altogether, you know, I worked for myself for a short while, I worked in the private sector, worked for the government. I had 20 years as a Navy reservist, um, so worked for the military. And um, um, so, um, you know, about 30 years career altogether, um, still enjoying it. Um, and uh, touched a lot of different things in geotechnical engineering, not, not too much in structural, but geotechnical mostly and uh, engineering management. Uh, so then I also had, so I got my, my Bachelor of Civil Engineering from Lehigh University, Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from Lehigh University, Master of Science in Civil Engineering from UAF, University of Alaska Fairbanks. Eventually went back and got a, a Master of Arts degree too from George Mason University in Transportation Policy. Um, and uh, that's, that's the extent of my education. Like I said, I was also a reserve officer for, well, finished 20 years. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's amazing just to hear the people's different backgrounds who come into this and so many reasons that uh, they come to this organization and this evidence. What made you want to be an engineer in the first place? Oh, I guess just being good at math as a kid and my par parents kind of steered me in that direction. Um, I guess that's about it. Yep. Well, there you go. All right. Tell us 
your 9-11 story, where were you on the day that you heard about what was going on? And uh, how did you wake up to the evidence that AE 9-11 Truth presents? Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting story like everybody has. I was working for state government in Pennsylvania at the time, and I remember we were at work, and this came, somebody saw it on the news, and we started watching it online, you know, the newsreels, and then newsreels, I mean, but the news, news footage. And then um, we all got dismissed. They said, go home. <laughs> so that was like, you know, whatever it was, sometime in the morning. And they told us all to leave. So we went home for the day and, you know, came back the next day. But of course, I think I was glued to my television set that day, like everybody else, and just couldn't believe it. And of course, I was in the reserve at the time. So, you know, we're, you know, I guess, I don't know when that it's the first words of terrorism came out about it. But, you know, then we were all concerned about that. And of course, we went to war right after 9-11. Um, so and I was with a, a military, you know, a Navy Reserve unit in the engineering battalion in New Jersey at the time. So a lot of the people were drawn from the New York City area. So there was a, a lot of, you know, connections there. Personally, I don't know anybody who was injured or killed that I'm aware of on 9-11. But a lot of people from that area, a lot of direct interest. Um, so, you know, the years went by and I never thought twice about what I heard on the television about 9-11 um, other than you know our, our reserve units were mobilizing over to the Middle East I eventually got mobilized over there for a year um, but uh, you know never never even thought about questioning anything or even thinking about it and I know you know obviously as AE 9-11 truth were heavily focused on World Trade Center 7 never even knew about that and it was the summer of maybe like 2018, maybe 2017. Um, I was at a 4th of July parade and a family member started telling me about some of these things. Like, did I, you know, did I know about World Trade Center 7? And um, you know, this had come, it came up and I was like, no, I never heard about this. And, you know, then some other stuff about 9-11. I'm like, no, I'm not, I never knew anything about this. And it sounded intriguing. So, um, when I got home, I started to look into it just online and, you know, wow, I couldn't believe what I was finding. And then I saw the report that AE 9-11 Truth did, which was done by Dr. Holsey at UAF. And that definitely got me interested because that's where I got my master's degree. And I knew him. I never had a class with him. I studied geotechnical engineering there and he was a structural professor. But but uh, actually, he's, he's one of the main reasons I... I always give money every year to UAF since I've graduated there because he did such a good job with the, the ASCE steel bridge team, which um, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a steel, student steel bridge team until I got to UAF and they always did pretty well. Um, so, uh, so that really got me intrigued and I read the report and I watched his presentations on it and then I'd say within a period of about three weeks after that 4th of July parade, <coughs> my whole idea on 9-11 just totally went 180 degrees and um you know I, I just kept researching and finding out more and more signed on to the petition with ae 9-11 truth at some point um got more involved gave some presentations over the last you know pre-covid over the last few years um i enjoy talking about it i want to talk to more people about it um and the one thing that disappoints me is some people you know, it's the lack of reception to these, if you want to call them, uh, you know, 
ideas that people haven't heard in the in the media and um you know i just i know it's easy to to turn off to it because before like i said before that fourth of july parade i would have been one of them if you would have come up and told me about um you know possible uh, other theories in the governments about why not world trade center seven collapse well i didn't even know about world trade center seven but about anything i would have you know i wouldn't have believed it either but then after i started looking into it and there's so much evidence um you know and the the, the ae 11 truth world trade center seven study just it is such a detailed analysis and um does such a great job of proving out what the NIST report does not include or, or gets wrong. And you would think that, you know, I'd, I'd like other people to be receptive to it as, as well. And to, you know, once you see the evidence and if you're open to it, it's really eye opening. Um, and I, you know, sometimes people say, you know, as well, I know people, you know, they'll tell you, well, I know people who were killed or hurt up there and it's very personal to me. And I certainly respect that and can understand the sensitivity. And, uh, you know, personally, I always think if I, you know, I want to know the truth regardless as as a person, just as a person and as an American, as a veteran and as an engineer. And if I knew somebody who had been injured or killed up there, I'd really want to know the truth about what happened. It would really make me want to know what actually happened. And um, so so that's that's sort of where I come from it, uh, the angle I'm coming from it on. And and um but i just think the the uaf report is so fascinating it's just such a detailed study that so clearly explains what could or couldn't have happened with world trade center seven and when you see that video of it just falling into its footprint it's just it's just astounding so um so it's been a great you know been a great journey i'll say that I met a lot of good people you know in the, in the project due diligence uh group and and uh so you know, I'm, I'm happy to be on, on board with it and helping to uh, get the word out. Yeah, we're happy to have you. And I know you've been hard at work with Project Due Diligence. We'll be getting into that. And it sounds like that that Independence Day uh, was your independence from the official story as you started to wake up to this and, and look into it. Mm -hmm. So you talk about the UAF report. It's I, I didn't realize that you went to UAF as well. So there's a coincidence mm -hmm. right there. But it helped to wake you up, and uh, that's uh, that's kind of very interesting to me. But uh, <clears throat> you have the UAF report. Stark contrast with the NIST report. Uh, let's get some of your thoughts on this. The fact that NIST <clears throat> in their computer models on World Trade Center Seven, first of all, the computer models betray reality. It's just a turn on itself. In the computer model, when you're in reality, do a side-by-side -side video comparison, the building comes straight down symmetric. But what do you have to say uh, about the fact that, in my view at least, this uh, computer models weren't complete. They only go up to collapse initiation and stop right there. Uh, can you possibly really do an analysis on this building by only going to collapse initiation? Well, yeah, I certainly don't think so. And and I never would have been aware of that. You know, I would have heard, well, NIST did a report that showed us how it fell down. And I would have never gone into the details on it, you know, myself, if I didn't have reason to. And uh, when you start looking at that, it's obviously very odd, you know, but there's a lot of, I guess I would say, power of suggestion in that or anything. They'll start showing you a model of the collapse initiation, <coughs> excuse me, and then stop it, you know, after a few seconds 
when it starts to go awry from what the video shows and just kind of like it's just being uh, shortened for editorial reasons or something. But then you realize there's nothing more. That's it. <laughs> that's where the model goes. And, uh, you know, so that's very surprising. Um, and of course, the UAF model, their model looks like the video evidence. But of course, the collapse scenario is also totally different. Um, so, you know, on the surface, if somebody, if you're not willing to examine it closer or be told about it, yeah, you probably wouldn't have a reason to, to look into what NIST says any further or not. Um, you know, but when you do, it's, and the modeling is so good. Uh, you know, I, um, I'm not, I can't remember what program uh, NIST used, but I think it was Abacus and Flack that UAF used, two separate finite, well-known finite element program platforms with two different graduate students to get the same result. <coughs> and um, oh yeah, yeah, the models, of course, people aren't familiar with these structural engineering programs. They're fantastic. They're so detailed, so good. Um, and I know that Dr. Holsey and his graduate students and team did a phenomenal amount of work, you know, looking at the as-built plans, at the construction drawings, looking at even examining where the aggregate for the concrete came from to look at expansion potential and I mean, all kinds of things like that. So it was, it was a, it was, you know, great report, great study. And yeah, that, you know, now I know enough to know, oh, that model starts, stops short, doesn't match the video evidence. And, and I can't say we know why, because, you know, part of the battle AE911 truth is fighting is to get the data from this and the modeling data and they were, you know, we can't get it, it's my understanding. So, um, and <clears throat> which is another difference with the UAF report. I, uh, the team will make the data available to anybody who wants it. And the models, uh, I believe that's the case, right? Anybody who wants it can ask for it. And if there's an error, we'd like to know about it. You know, have somebody point it out, but have total transparency there. Um, so far, I understand nobody has. So uh, I don't know if they've even taken up the offer to look at it. But um, uh, it's plainly laid out. So it's a great, great study. Well, there's plenty of people who don't like what we're doing. They wanted their hands on it very fast. So you better believe we made it available. And uh, with what you are saying regarding NIST, yeah, I mean, you to me, you have to go through the entire collapse because that's what is at issue here. Straight down symmetric. It looks like a controlled demolition. That what ha basically what's important is what happens after that initiation of collapse. Now, I think with the general public, you notice that within years of not even 9-11, but the 9-11 truth movement existing, that's when they started to scramble in the media and they would find somebody to come on TV and uh, wearing a very you know sharp suit, nice background and give you a NIST explanation. Or even if we didn't have NIST's explanation yet, they would give you some kind of explanation with some authority. Uh, fake authority in my view, but some authority uh, to, you know, shove this down the public's throat and people say, hey, look at that nice background and that guy's suit. He looks really professional. What he's saying must be true. And they accepted that. You expect differently from engineers and, you know, architects who we've done outreach to as well. Um, but you expect them to take an interest in this. You know, first time a steel frame high rise ever collapsed because of fire, supposedly. Uh, let's look into the reasons for it. But as you talk to more and more people, it's almost like, you know, they just accepted an explanation and went on with whatever projects they were doing, whatever uh, is going on in their careers and didn't think twice about it. You see the same, 
you see this level of disinterest in, in what should be one of the most significant events in engineering history. Do you see that in the profession at all from your experience? Well, I mean, I can't really give too much of a too much to say about that because I've given uh, two two lectures to this to engineering group so far, and I'd like to do more. And then COVID hit, and uh, so it was hard to get out there or even set up the virtual meetings to do that. So you know, I'd like to start doing it again. But from those two experiences, the engineers that I presented to seem to be well. First of all, hardly like me, like most of America, the percentage who had even heard of WTC7 was a tiny fraction. So this was this was completely new. Um, and uh, they seemed very receptive to it, though, the audience, as far as what I was saying. Now, I didn't, you know, I can't say that it totally changed their outlook on 9-11 or totally discredit this model to them or things like that. But um, you know, some of the comments I got, I would think it certainly did with some people. Uh, most of them, you know, I didn't talk to after the presentation or they didn't stick around. So I, I don't really know. And, you know, at work, it's not the kind of thing you go up to and talk to somebody about. So, um, yeah, I can't say too much about how the, the engineers I know or the profession in general would view it. But, um, you know, I think they the ones I presented to certainly seemed very open to what we were showing, not like it was it was doubtful that the UAF report made errors or you know, people ask good questions. And I had to go back to Roland and and get those questions answered because and I keep learning, you know, I keep learning more and more about this um, as we have our meetings within 8911 and as we give presentations because so much stuff comes up and, and engineers ask a lot of good questions. So, um, but Roland, I would say, is certainly the you know has the knowledge base on on he's given so many presentations on all these answers. But uh, you know, people are receptive to it. It is a lot to hit them with at one time. I mean, when you first hear this, it's I don't know, you know, what what to make of it. But um, if you've never like me and most people, if you've never thought twice about what you saw on television and keep keep hearing about nine eleven and how it unraveled and, and things like that. Um, to be given some totally new information that you haven't seen, it would, you know, it can be a little bit overwhelming perhaps, and depending on whatever people's viewpoints are that they come with, um, I can understand how it takes some time to digest that, or maybe they go back and look into it themselves, or is what he, is he really talking about what I think he's talking about? And maybe they'll go back and, you know, Google World Trade Center 7 themselves or something like this and start looking it up. Because, and even among engineers, even though, you know, not all engineers are structural engineers, you know, not all engineers have run finite element models, things like this. Um, but even among those who have, uh, there's still a lot of detail and nuance in this that uh, is gonna be new to them. You know, there's, there's questions about fireproofing that some engineers might not have dealt with. Um, there's questions about the different types of materials that buildings were made up of, or especially World Trade Center stuff was made of, or how it was constructed. Um, so there's a lot they're hearing about for the first time. And, you know, we, I, the presentation that we have, I think does a great job of going through it step by step and really showing where NIST ignored structural elements and, and how their, their collapse mechanism worked out to not follow what was in the video evidence. Um, 
but it is a lot to take in and and try to understand so um and there's a lot of just a lot of detail that comes into play that even though somebody may have worked in building construction i mean maybe they've never worked on high rises uh just you know maybe they've never worked too much with fireproofing never you know especially explosions and um you know fires and you know as far as the steel frame building that fell down on 9-11 that's a fact that until you tell somebody i doubt anybody even ever really thought about it or is aware of it but it is something no no steel frame building had ever collapsed prior to 9-11 and on that day three of them did um, the, the one we're focusing on the most, World Trade Center 7, you know, is uh, maybe what some people call a smoking gun. It's like, well, UAF shows there's no way that building collapsed by fire. And the only way it could have collapsed the way it did is if every column in the building failed almost at the same time. And, you know, how could that have happened? Um, you know, and stuff like you see the video footage and you see that, well, World Trade Center 7, those office fires caused by flaming debris falling on it, those were essentially what you would call a cold fire. You know, if you remember your, your Boy Scout knowledge, a cold fire is a lot of smoke, a lot of black smoke and red flames. You know, a hot fire is less smoke and yellow flames. And um, when you look, you know, and I was surprised when I found this out, in fact, very surprised when I gave the presentation looking into the, the information that the AE-911 Truth had, they have a list of, of high-rise office fires that have happened around the world. And I'm not gonna say in total it's a lot, but it's a, it's a pretty big number. I had no idea we had these, these this many high-rise fires. And in fact, one of them, even when I was living in Pennsylvania, happened at that time in Philadelphia. And I didn't even remember it happening. I don't know, I never knew about it perhaps. But the, you see some of these high-rise fires in Philadelphia, in Los Angeles, in Madrid, Spain, all over the world. And boy, you want to see some what a raging fire looks like? Well, you see some of those. And, you know, World Trade Center 7 burned for eight hours, these cold fires on various floors. Eight hours is nothing. Some of those buildings burned for 24 hours, I think. You know, it didn't fall down. And some of them were in various stages of construction. Some were occupied. Um, so it's just, uh, anyway, that, that whole, um, you know, bit of knowledge on these were the only steel high rise buildings that ever fell. I mean, that right there is something that has to be pointed out because nobody would even realize that. And then if you were like me, you think, well, I've never seen a high rise building catch fire anyway. It doesn't happen. Oh yeah. It's happened quite a bit. And there's a lot of video footage of it out there, a lot of evidence. And you know, the one in Philadelphia got uh, you know, we fixed up and people are, you know, it's fine. Um, and even in fact, you know, of course the World Trade Center complex had seven buildings, one and two, the towers, seven, the one we're talking about, three, four, five, and six were right there in the same block. And when the towers fell, they did a lot of damage to three, four, five, and six, but those, they didn't collapse. They were hit by a lot of debris and you can see the gaping holes in the middle of the buildings and huge amounts of damage, but yet the building still stood. World Trade Center 7, 100 yards away, I mean, extraordinarily minimal amounts of damage from debris, very small cold office fires, and yet it collapsed in spectacular fashion, straight down into its own footprint at 
well, your your program is called free fall at free fall speed for for eight seconds, you know, indicating there's no resistance at all from any of the remaining structure. So, uh, but yeah, so that I mean, so this information just has to be pointed out to people, and they might need time to digest it, go back, look at it for themselves, and and think about it, and and you know, we encourage people to do that. That's great. Everybody should be thinking about it and questioning it and questioning our material as well. And um, but um, you know, again, I think our report is is, is uh, quite accurate. Yeah, absolutely, and that's hence why the show is called 9-11 Free Fall, for two and a half seconds of the seven-second, quote, collapse. We don't like to use that word around here, but it just goes straight down, eight stories, meaning no resistance. How is that possible without the use of explosives? And you talk about the minimal damage on World Trade Center 7 in the corner of the building. NIST even acknowledges this. They say that the collapse initiated in the opposite corner inside the building from thermally expanding beams framing into a girder pushing it off of its seat now we've talked about in previous episodes we did a great series uh they still can't get their story straight is the title uh and we did one on world trade center seven and a big point that ted walter was making throughout this and it's a very valid one i'm actually very impressed uh with the presentation he gave on this but you uh supposedly have some engineer out in the street the guy still remains nameless, uh, has not come forward. The, the show's claiming to debunk people like us, have never contacted this person, even if he doesn't want to be public. Put him in shadow or blur his face like the Witness Protection Program, whatever. But let's find out who this guy is. Doesn't seem like NIST had any interest in finding this person. But supposedly some engineer on the street is making a determination that an unprecedented event uh, is going to happen in five hours, I think they said, and it came down in five hours, uh, based on an analysis from outside the building. But NIST says that the initiating event happened inside the building. Now, and then after it, I mean, you have all these predictions. You have CNN earlier in the morning. Uh, you have BBC saying the building had already collapsed. It's still standing there behind Jane Stanley as she's reporting it. Video goes out right before it does collapse in real life. Uh, you have all these predictions about this building coming down, uh, determinations made from the outside of it when it's all happening on the inside. Um, and yet they still have a hard time getting a lock on what happened to World Trade Center 7 for so many years afterwards. I mean, FEMA says their, their best hypothesis has a low probability of occurrence. Um, uh, NIST says that they have a hard time getting a handle on World Trade Center 7. They finally come up with something. Uh, they get called out at their technical briefing for not acknowledging the free fall or, or the significance. Uh, and so I just want to hear your commentary on all of that because it seems really screwy to me. Well, yeah, I'm going to agree with that. It seems very strange. Um, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know why it's so convoluted. Um, yeah, as far as World Trade Center 7's co collapse, there was a lot of that. You heard, you know, this 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 person that you mentioned. Um, there were apparently some people out there on the street or firefighters saying it's going to come down. And, um, you know, I don't know whether that, you know, video footage was just kind of a guess they were making or it sounds authoritative. Um, but you have a lot of conflicting, uh, you know, conflicting, I guess, uh, statements um but uh yeah it's 
I mean, I, I don't know what to say really about how all that could fit together. Um, if we go with our engineering analysis, so it's pretty clear, you know, that none of that, um, you know, the NIST, you know, the NIST report makes sense. Um, you know, some of those analyses, as far as somebody, whether they could tell from outside the building, whether it's going to fall, you know, maybe it was an engineer, maybe not, but a lay person. I just, I don't know how they would know that. Um, you know, I don't, I'm sure some fire, you know, department people have some knowledge of, you know, building codes and things like that. Um, but as far as making a determination like this on a once, once in a once ever event, I think that would be pretty, pretty shocking to get, you know, to have an accurate knowledge of how things might play out there. Um, so, but, but the, I think the important part about that is, which a lot of people will not know unless they look into this is, you know, you'll hear this, give their opinion and then they'll say, well, but people have other evidence, you know, we'd like to hear it. Or if there's, if there's witnesses that saw otherwise, you know, let us know. Well, there's lots of witnesses who saw otherwise and lots of video evidence of things. And it's, you don't have to go search for it. It's there. Um, everybody else is not everybody, but a lot of other people are able to find it, but people who don't want to find it don't seem to be able to, but a lot of firefighters, I think there were about 150 witnesses or so who said they heard multiple explosions from the towers in world trade center seven. There's, you know, firefighter or first responder on video saying he saw molten steel running like it's in a foundry running down channels, you know, molten steel, um, you know, all, all kinds of, uh, you know, people that saw the explosion in the, in the lobby of the World Trade Center one or two, um, they, and people heard explosions in the World Trade Center seven. And, and of course, World Trade Center seven was clear to people at like 11 a.m. I think it was a fire department. Somebody told everybody to get out. So there was nobody in there for the rest of the day or shouldn't have been. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, too, um, that I you know, it was we give presentations about this. You learn World Trade Center Seven was the last of the seven buildings of the World Trade Center complex constructed, and it while the towers went up in like I think they were finished in 1972, 1973, something like that. Number Seven was only finished in 1985 or 1983. It was like 17 years old at the time of 9/11. Basically, a brand new building, and it was a beautiful building. You know, 47 stories tall. It looks small in Lower Manhattan, but that would have been the tallest building, like 28 states or something at the time. So, and and it's this uh, asymmetrical trapezoid shape and plan. So it's not even symmetrical, yet it fell perfectly, you know, symmetrically it fell, but that's not its floor plan. And, uh, you know, when you see Dr. Holsey's report or the UAF report, I should say, the UAF report, and you see some of the framing in those floors. I mean, the framing's running in all different directions it's not a perfectly symmetrical building at all in the framing. And one of the things that came out in the analysis when uh, UAF, when the team looked at this report, something very, very odd, when they did their uh, computer modeling, they assumed that one exterior wall of the building was fixed. So it could not move at all as interior beams expanded. And if you look at the framing, and, and I know Dr. Holsey has said this, and any any engineer I think would, you look at that, it looks like all of the expansion would have been against that wall, pushing it out. Because there's so much mass and, and framing on the other side of the beams. 
but yet the NIST report says that wall is entirely fixed and will not move as they're being expanded against it. And I think that even goes against eyewitness testimony. I'm not entirely sure about that. But um, but anyway, uh, you know, very bizarre stuff um, between the modeling and reality, the modeling that NIST did in reality. And uh, witness, you know, there's plenty of witness statements to things that, that never made the NIST report and that, you know, aren't generally uh, out there available because most people don't know about them. And, you know, it's a shame, you know, here we are in 2022, so it's already over 20 years past 9-11 and, um, you know, people are just getting older and a lot of people have passed away already who were involved with 9-11 and, and the witnesses and, you know, a lot of that information is dying out. And um, so, uh, you know, there is a lot of video footage, though, of witness statements and things like that. Well, I'll tell you what, here's my philosophy on all that. Now, I think we're going to have vindication at the end. I think it will be acknowledged. I may have a few more gray hairs by the time it does, but I really do believe that in the end we're going to, you know, know exactly what really happened that day. The whole world will. However, <clears throat> as we wait for that, the fact that we exist is still beneficial to all of mankind because somebody could be watching this video right now or five months from now as a rerun and, uh, you know, get this stuff in their mind. They wake up to September 11th and all the lies we were told about that. Maybe that person goes on and works for somebody very important. Maybe they're uh, a quiet objector in a congressman's office or, or something to that effect, right? And so maybe something comes up new in the future. And because we planted the seed about 9-11, it affects other things going forward. It could affect legislation. It could affect uh, policy decisions. Who knows? But if people know that we're being lied to about such an important event and just pure science, I mean, talk about changing the nature of reality, just denying it. Uh, for everybody and just shutting down science and scientific debate, refusing to acknowledge their own mistakes. I mean, this is George Orwell on steroids, what we're facing here. When you wake people up to that, <clears throat> it influences the future. So that's what I believe. That's why this work, one of the reasons that this work is so important to me, it's a slam dunk case. The case has already been made, controlled demolition. Uh, if they got away with that, what else do they try to get away with in the future? Well, we can stop that because we make people smarter and more vigilant as a result. <clears throat> so that's why we got to keep on supporting AE911 Truth, and I keep doing this show. Now, let me go back in time a little bit. A couple of years ago, there was an engineer called me, and I think he was from Canada, and he was considering signing the petition, and... But he said, you know, I do a lot of work in the United States, and I'm worried about this interfering with that. I do a lot of uh, government work. You know, do you think it'll affect me? And, you know, I can't tell somebody what's going to happen. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but, you know, we've had engineers sign the petition, and they've been just fine. They haven't had any repercussions. How much do you think that those kinds of concerns, uh, attacks on their professional credentials or jobs, and things like that, plays into any kind of hesitance that engineers may have in getting involved in this issue. Yeah, yeah, uh, well, I think it plays a, a, a huge part. You know, you can't say across the spectrum for every individual, but in general, I think it is a huge part. Um, I mean, AE 911 Truth has what, over 3,500 engineers and architects on board, 
so you know, pretty big number. Um, but some people, depending on their job or what they do, um, you know, who they work with, I can see, I can see some hesitancy, whether it's justified or not. I think that's the world we live in, you know, cancel culture and we see it every day and people it's on their minds. So I can under, I can definitely understand that. Um, how much it actually plays out in reality. I, I don't know. Again, I don't know of anybody who's had a repercussions against them. Uh, well, almost nobody, but, um, but yeah, it's it's a concern. I would I would I can see their I could see that viewpoint for sure. Um, and that's you know again just because of uh, the repercussions we see in other areas of life when people speak out on things. So it's and um, yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, so still, the more people that can be courageous and and take a you know take a stand if they see it as the truth. The, certainly the better off we'll all be and I certainly agree with you it's important that this organization and others like it do work um, to try to get the real story out because even you could talk about it from as, as broad a perspective as you'd want to for you know just the truth in general how important it is but even just for the engineering community um, when NIST wrote their report and, and you, you might remember it more than I do on this but I believe they said that their collapse mechanism for World Trade Center 7 was a new phenomenon that they discovered, never before seen, of this progressive collapse due to fire. And so they made some recommendations for what should change. Now, I think some minor tweaks have been made to the structural code since then, but I don't know that anything has been done to really address such a collapse mechanism as progressive failure due to fire and if that's the case you know as an engineering profession 20 years on this should really concern us well are we are we i mean there's a gap there anyway of some kind to call it credibility gap or knowledge gap or something but are, are we going to address this problem or does this problem not really exist um so because uh, i know that's one of the you know ae 911 has looked into that okay what structural code changes have been made here they are and um, again, whether that item has been addressed is questionable, so to say the least. So uh, here we are, and you know, is yet, uh, you know, the engineering community. I believe whenever these surveys are done of the public of what kind of professions they trust or admire, I believe engineers score pretty well on that. We're we're pretty well trusted by the public with good reason, and we want to keep it that way. <laughs> We want the public to, to trust in what we build and we we want to build good stuff and if you have issues like this floating out there well world trade center seven collapsed like that and nobody can explain why or you know there's gaps in the history reporter and we haven't corrected it in 20 years i mean what are you know what are people going to think what's the profession to think of itself so it's really something that we need to address even for a very narrow engineering team much less the whole broader scope of of what may have happened on you know on 9/11, so yeah, very very critically important. And um, I mean, I guess you know we're we're the not we're the engineers and architects. A 9/11 truth. There's other truth groups out there, of course. The, the pilots, the dollars, the lawyers, they all have 9/11 truth groups too. So we're certainly not alone in this as well. And um, you know, it's also there's just there's just so much about this event, obviously, but. 
um, I know you're aware of this, and you might have covered it in a previous free fall. If you did, you can stop me. But what was it? Sometime around 2010 or so, I believe Con Edison sued Silverstein Properties because they, they had a, Con Edison had a substation in World Trade Center 7 when it collapsed. And they sued Silverstein Properties to say, hey, your building was faulty. That's why it collapsed on our substation. <clears throat> and that went to court. And each side hired an engineering firm as an expert witness. And the court found in favor of Silverstein Properties that the building was not faulty. And I don't know how much they relied on the report of that engineering firm uh, for the defendant, but that report was also different from this report. That their reason for collapse was, was different. So we're not the first ones to come up with a different reason for why it collapsed. Now, I haven't read that report myself, and I don't know, again, how much the court relied on that or what, but so, you know, already we're not the only ones out there with a different idea of why it collapsed. So there's a lot of, and, and you know, a lot of competing ideas and a lot of information, good information different groups have and different people. And, you know, I mean, I, I find it all fascinating. Um, you know, again, as a detailed engineering analysis, the UAF report is the best thing I've seen and the most transparent. Um, uh, oh, and, and also, also as an aside, um, so I've, I've seen these figures, I've heard them, so I, I think they're accurate, maybe not, but the NIST report, I believe that cost $16 million for them to do their report on the collapse of WTC7. The UAF report, which I would say is by far better, more accurate, cost $325,000. So about 2% of the cost of the NIST report. So, I mean, that's just another, uh, I don't know where the other, you know, 15,700,000 went that, that NIST needed to, to make their case, but uh, anyway. That's a very good question. We struggled and, and raised money and that came from the 9-11 Truth Movement. So it's really everybody's work in getting that thing funded. It goes to show you the tremendous Goliath that we're up against, but uh, again, you, you know, when you got the truth on your side, everything is easy. You don't have mm -hmm. to sit there and try to cover up for yourself. You don't have to remember what you said previously or any of that stuff. Just stick to the facts. That's what AE 911 Truth does. I mean, Building 7, you can watch it intuitively and know there's something wrong with that story. You don't even have to be an engineer. And I know there's You're bad right. characters right. out there trying to push this idea that you have to be an engineer just to even voice an opinion about it. Uh, that's just to discourage people from having an opinion about it, by the way. But, you know, you don't have to. All you have to do is live in the physical reality and know how physics works mm -hmm. and uh, know that a building does not collapse like that because of fire. You've never seen it before. At the very least, it justifies a new investigation. I mean, when we point out all of NIST's mistakes, not just on Building 7, but the Twin Towers as well, all of these things they didn't take into account. I mean, leaving out structural elements, when you put them in there, it makes their whole collapse hypothesis impossible. At the very least, rerunning the analysis shouldn't hurt anything, unless right. it, it would hurt uh, their credibility and people's faith in government all throughout America. That might be what they're worried about hurting. But for the sake of truth and knowing what happened, it's the most logical thing to do. Everybody on all sides of this issue should stand for that. But of course they don't. They want to bury it. They want people like us to just go away, censor us off of YouTube, Make, force you to go to dogpile.com just to get any kind of uh, archival knowledge about this uh, or, you know, or, or, or information about this. But that's okay. We endure. We keep on going because we got the truth on our side. Now, something that I hear people say 
is uh, why are you trying to get the government to do a new investigation? They, uh, you know, they covered up the first one, at least through Nest. Um, and, you know, I have my own answer to that, and I'll be happy to address it, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I guess, you know, we, we'd like to see the right thing get done. I mean, that's, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, we, I, you know, I can't speak for others, so I don't know, you know, NIST could say they, you know, they've given erratic statements, I guess, like you pointed out. They've said kind of contradicting things and can't keep a consistent statement on this, it seems. But, um, okay, somebody else did a very thorough study, and it shows your study is completely wrong. I mean, not even a matter of opinion, but, you know, you left out so many structural elements in your analysis. You made so many odd assumptions. So, you know, please fix it. And, and your model is wrong. Your collapse initiation model is incorrect. So, you know, please fix these things. And here's here's the data to fix it. You know, now you have it. Now somebody has shown it to you. Tell us you agree or disagree or why not. And AE911 Truth has written letters to NIST and tried to get information out of them and not been successful. So, you know, I guess you, you want to see, you know, you, you want to have faith in them. There's an agency there that's supposed to help protect us. You want to see them do the right thing and, you know, give the benefit of the doubt. Okay, yeah, we, we were wrong. We'll, we'll, we'll correct that mistake. We'll see where, you know. So I guess that's, you know, you know, my, I guess I would say where I would think it's important that we, you know, Give, give somebody the chance to correct it and and um, and go from there. Now that hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, and when it comes to infrastructure though, obviously the government has a big role to play. So um, even uh, even with private infrastructure and locality building codes and things like that. So um, anyway, that's, you know, important to well, what's the expression? A little, a little sunlight is the best disinfectant. You know, you want to shine, shine the light in these, in these uh, dark, obscure corners, and make sure that the, you know, the truth is is still there. Yeah, exactly. Because who knows? You know, thirty years from now, there could be some young kid who comes across this video interview and starts uh, takes an interest in it, and maybe they reopen the issue all over again. But I, I'm hoping we don't have to get to that point because we're going to do it in our generation. So consider it a challenge to us to not have it fall on that kid 30 years from now. But, you know, my answer to that is, you know, government is not a single person. I mean, it's designed to outlive any one person or group of people. It's designed to keep on going for generations and hundreds of years afterwards. And it's always changing. I mean, you know. The government of France right now is much different than the government of France 150 years ago. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The makeup. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so many things influence it, too. There was somebody, some famous quote where somebody said that government is the downstream of culture, that you influence the culture first and then, you know, the politicians come from that culture. Like what George Carlin was saying, was saying he doesn't complain about politicians because, you know, where do they come from? They come from American families, American schools, they come from us. So if you have any yeah, complaint, yeah. look in the mirror. Um, right, right. Paraphrasing yeah. for him, exactly, you know, but basically it's always changing. So who knows? Again, that, that kid, you know, that 15-year-old kid who's following this right now, maybe he will be the next great leader. Maybe I'll be out there in a hover round waving my flag at his inaugural address, and he's going to acknowledge that 
Uh, the buildings were brought down and controlled demolitions on that day, and it'll be great reforms. So it's always changing, and that is the nature of it. And if you are out there, you know, we can't get involved in politics because we're a 501c3, but I can't tell anybody out there who's watching that if you're inclined to run for office, mm -hmm. go ahead and do so. Just by being there, you have an impact. Just by being there and in, in, uh, injecting these issues into the debate, don't worry about your public image, don't worry about the mainstream media and what they say about you. They've lost so much credibility. It might as well be a, a dog barking at you from behind a fence. You know, you're like the mailman that day. But if you're out there, go ahead and run for office and bring this issue front and center. You know, do everything you can to raise it. And you can do that so much more now through the social media and the Facebook and the videos and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, we got to get an acknowledgement from somewhere. That's the official body right now. And we're going to keep on hammering that home. Right. Well, now, a couple of good points there that, that you bring up. I mean, first of all, with the youth. Um, you know, people always say something about the younger generation, how it's maybe not like the older generation, but I'm, uh, I'm very impressed with a lot of the youth and I mean, their openness to different ideas and, and, and to the evidence is really impressive. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of confidence that the youth today are looking at things with a more critical eye and um, hopefully, like you say, maybe some 15 year old watching this will it will influence them because I think they are very concerned as well with, you know, with their futures and, um, you know, with the truth getting out there and, you know, with having different, different modes of information too. So um, they're really on top of things to, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. And then, like you said, it's the government, it's not just one monolithic entity. It's a lot of different individuals. And, uh, you know, we're all, you know, all of us in our lives, we face times where we're up against the truth, too. And when are we going to do the right thing? And so this, you know, it's a daily reminder almost, you know, to me that every time you come across it, are you going to do the right thing? Um, you know, are you going to stick with the truth always and um, or go with what pays the most or what's what's what somebody doesn't want you to to say or so it's it, it's difficult you know we all face those in professional life and personal life and you know in social life and um so you know i wish it were just you know cut and dried you know black and white and and well and, and it is really right it's the it's truth or not as far as you know the best you know what anybody can make of it but um, it's uh, it can be a tough decision for, for anybody to make in a given situation, depending on how much pressure they're under. So, um, and you know, different individuals are going to react to that differently. That's right. And the older you get, the less you care. Uh, you know, about <laughs> yeah, the right. insults. That's or, right. You know that. The less you have to lose, the less you care. That's right. That's right. That's you, right. You know, you start reading Greek Stoic philosophers, and you're like, yeah, okay, I can, I can deal with this. I was just going to bring up Stoicism. Oh my are God. I've been, watch, <laughs> I've been watching videos on this. And it is like, I mean, this is a philosophy, and I don't want to get too off topic. I'm sure AE won't mind this, though. Um, you know, there is a great video out there. Maybe I'm going to link it now because we both uh, are on the same wavelength. I'll link it in the description. But it's about uh, stoicism, and uh, this guy gives a great speech on it. And apparently he's been hired to speak to 
oh, one of the football teams, the NFL football teams. And what he says is, you know, you can't do anything about if the refs cheating you, if your team play teammates aren't, uh, you know, cooperating with you. You can't do anything about the fact if your coach is, you know, good or bad or anything. All you can affect is how you play. That's all you can do. All you can do is control what you do. You can't worry about, you know, what the corporate media is doing. You can't worry about uh, what the government's doing. You can't worry about any of this stuff. Now I'm ad-libbing for, for our issue. Can't worry about uh, what they say about your efforts or, or whatever. All you can influence is what you do. And it's such an easy and uh, good way to go about life. Stop worrying about what you can't control. Only worry about what you can control. And, uh, and that's how we have to take on this issue. And everybody does that. Ignore all the distractions, all of the chirping out there, and just keep on beating this issue home. It will have an impact. And I can't tell you how it's going to, but I've just my experience in life is that if you just stick to something long enough, it's time comes. If you just keep on staying on the same point, as long as it's truthful, as long as it's backed up by evidence, there's nothing that the naysayers can do. They can try to distract you with insults and all this other stuff but uh as long as you just focus on what you can do and not react to any of it then uh the truth will win out in the end so that's so funny that you brought that up because uh, <laughs> i was going to do that myself maybe it's uh, this kind of work that makes you start thinking that way and looking <laughs> to read some of these old sources <laughs> why not it must be the case yeah. how do i cope youtube help me yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. but uh, so in our last, I don't know, what is it, like four minutes or something, um, I always ask the engineer members to uh, address this. Uh, say they're deciding whether or not they're going to sign the petition, you know, and they're still doubtful about it. and They don't know if it's worth it or if they should, uh, if they should stick their necks out there. What do you have to say to those people? Well, I guess the first thing would be to, to convince yourself whether we have evidence or not, whether what we're saying looks accurate or correct. So if you go to one of our, if you would attend one of our presentations, look up the report online, look up, uh, you know, contact us, get the information. Um, so first satisfy yourself, you know, and if you're satisfied that, boy, this group is really onto something. And as a member of the profession, I have an ethical duty to, to make my profession right then uh, my advice to, the, to them would be sign it. Because like you said, I mean, you know, and again, I, I said people are under different amounts of pressure, so they might feel, okay, depending on how much pressure they're under to sign or not sign, that, that might that's gonna influence their decision. But um, sticking to the truth, doing what's right in the end will is the only thing you can do. So that should be of some comfort and solace to anybody and really, why would anybody pressure you? You know, if you're feeling pressure not to sign it or that it might be an issue. See, I don't know how you can say, well, I'd say you have an, eth an ethic to obey to your profession. If this is a problem and you now know it, you can't ignore it, okay? You have to work for the, you know, the public good, the ethics of your profession, so to say somebody's pressuring you not to do it is not your problem, certainly. Now, you know, we all know how things work in practice that could have a lot of, you know, for some people, short-term negative consequences. Well, yeah, as you said, and as I've said, I really don't know that that's been the case with hardly anybody. So it's really, I don't think anything to worry about in that regard. But um, 
you know, my my counsel to anybody would be: you have to stick to your conscience, to the truth. There's there's very little more uh, more valuable you can do in the world. So, uh, and you're not you're not doing any favors to anybody by by going along with what you think is incorrect or a lie. That's right. Most of the things that you worry about happening in this world don't ever come to fruition anyway. That's true. Too. Some famous person who had a quote like that, you know. Uh, right, right. Most of most of our problems exist only in our head. We're sitting there trying to anticipate things, and uh, and they don't ever they don't ever come. So excellent. Uh, you know, it's great getting to know you even better. That's why it's one of the perks of doing this show. So, John, thank you so much for all the hard work that you're doing with us right now and continue to do. And thank you for coming on 9-11 Freefall today. Yeah, well, thank you, Andy. You're welcome. And it's a pleasure to work with you in this group. It's just it's, I've learned so much. It's fantastic.